0: Oh, mm-hmm. oh, Welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. This is our episode number 134, recorded on September 9th, 2019. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show. Today we will talk about the potential new largest startup campus in Europe, an overview of mobility news, an ethical European smartphone. History of ringtones and much more. We will also run a conversation with Didarude Monkur, the Chief Data and Digital Officer at the Danish Growth Fund. I am your host, Andre Degler, joined today by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hey, Natalie, how is life?
1: Hi, Andre. It's going really great, and this is a very special podcast for us because it marks the one-year anniversary since we took over the Tech EU podcast. True. What Damn, do you think?
0: I totally forgot. <laughs> I said I said it last week after we recorded and totally forgot. Oh my god, no, this this is great. I'm I'm very happy that we we started uh, doing this. I, it's been it's been a great year and we have lots of plans uh, in front of us. So Natalie, thank you so much for uh, being around for for this long as well.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I've really enjoyed it.
0: And before we dive in today, a quick shout out. Today's episode is kindly sponsored by the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference that is coming to Berlin on November 4th to November 7th. The conference is the only conference that focuses exclusively on software architecture and the evolution of that role. Learn the tools, techniques, and leadership skills that both aspiring and veteran software architects need. Listeners of the Tech.eu podcast, as usual, can get something extra, and that's that would be 20% off of most passes to Software Architecture Conference. Use the code TECHEU20 during registration on O'ReillySACON.com tech. That is O'ReillySACON.com tech and the code is TECHEU20. Now, let's move on to the stories that we have chosen from last week. So mine is uh, a short one, reasonably short one, that is, and uh, uh, from the news of last week, it seems like the game is on for European startup campuses. The Helsinki-based Maria01 campus announced last week that it has very ambitious expansion plans, and the final goal is to become the largest startup campus in Europe, that is larger than the current leader, uh, Station F, in Paris. Uh, Maria01 also introduced a new CEO uh, named Villa Simola, who is a veteran of the local ecosystem. Uh, he co-founded and used to manage, among other things, the startup Sona Accelerator, uh, which uh, has done a lot of uh, great things for the local ecosystem. So, currently, Maria01 claims to be the largest startup campus in the Nordics. It occupies 10,000 square meters across several buildings that used to be a hospital complex close to the city center of Helsinki. I have been to the place. I think it's it's really nice. I really like the buildings themselves. They're, I think, from 1800s or something it's a really interesting place for a startup campus to be. So right now, the place is home to 120 startups and scale-ups, 12 VC funds, and a few ecosystem organizations. In terms of people, uh, Maria01 currently has some 1,100 members. So, uh, here is how Maria01 sees the expansion uh, time frame. That, that's what was presented uh, last week. So by November this year, that is before the Slush Conference, it plans to bring the available space to 20,000 square meters. That would effectively double uh, what they have right now. And by the way, there is actually a connection between uh, the Slush Conference and Maria01 because the campus itself is co-owned by the Slash Conference and the city of Helsinki and the Helsinki Enterprise Agency. So this first phase of the expansion due in November will be done by renovating more buildings in that same old hospital complex. I think it's actually like one big wing of one of the buildings. And I hope to be in Helsinki for the conference and visit the new buildings. And I will certainly report back on that. Natalie, I hope you will be there Two, do you already know if you're coming?
1: I'm not sure yet, but I would love to join you.
0: Yeah, let's hope so. Now, after that, after November, uh, there is uh, the actual big plan that's coming in, and that involves construction of additional buildings uh, next to the existing ones. So, by 2023, Maria01 wants to add uh, another 50,000 square meters of space to house 500 startups and 4,500 people on top of what it houses right now. So, in total. After 2023, Maria01 will have 70,000 square meters of space, and more than 600 companies uh, in there, and almost 6,000 members. That's the plan. And that would be double of the size of uh, Station F in Paris. However, interestingly, the French campus uh, claims to house already more than 1,000 startups, which is much more than the numbers planned by Maria01. And as far as I understand, uh, the difference here is that Station F also has a bunch of acceleration programs running in-house, which attract a lot of early stage teams, which may or may not uh, stay in uh, Station F forever. And that's where this discrepancy may be coming from. Now, what I was thinking about, though, and uh, I don't have a ready answer, so Natalie, I do hope that you can shed some light on it. You are a professional ecosystem researcher, so here is one for you. Is there actually research that would confirm the correlation between the size of startup hubs and the health of the ecosystems themselves?
1: I think this is an um, interesting question, and it's an important question with not such a concise or um, very specific answer. And I think something that often frustrates policymakers, investors, and people that are trying to build great environments for entrepreneurship is that everyone wants some specific roadmap or is looking for a certain amount of ingredients of things that go into building a place for entrepreneurs. But what approaches like this neglect to realize is that cities and regions have very differing resources, which they should leverage and very different constraints, which they should address when it comes to improving conditions for entrepreneurial activity. So size is one measure, but it's not the only measure that counts. So when Maria01's news came out, I have seen a lot of people in my network, especially those that I respect, come out pretty forcefully against this new development. The critiques were specifically about a quote-unquote obsession about building Europe's largest startup campus, almost in an attempt of building something of a startup Disneyland. But space, and especially a space to connect, to grow, and to build, is something that cannot be underestimated in a startup community. And in Helsinki especially, this is incredibly costly. So I mentioned constraints before. Current conditions prevent those but the most capable and fortunate from being involved in startups there. Office space and indeed living space in Helsinki is an incredible barrier and constraint for early stage companies. So having more space to work and space that can be publicly subsidized in some ways It can be used to put on events and to bring people together, especially a space that understands early stage entrepreneurs. This is really important. Also in Europe, we see the spectra of WeWork coming um, into more and more different cities. So in some ways, homegrown efforts have to be big, bold, and different to compete against billions of dollars of soft bank investment. Coworking in office space also has a very tight profit margin. And in many markets, as much as I would wish it wasn't so, it really struggles. I'd always rather see options that come out of the local community rather than those that come in from abroad and try to fit their way of doing things around the local community. But that being said, I think there is a danger of having one singular place that is the only game in town for your startup community. It is my view that ecosystems work best if there are alternative offerings in a city that are in conversation with one another, that recognize that not all entrepreneurs and companies are the same and that they have different needs. In addition, if you want to be the biggest player in an ecosystem, you have to make a commitment to inclusivity and being a place for everyone. And I think this is very hard to get right. But this is something I think Station F does really well, given its size. They have a dedicated space there that's open for everyone, and they make a commitment to championing diversity. And they have initiatives for immigrant entrepreneurs and things like that. There's also real emphasis at Station F about really early stage, as you mentioned before, Andre. If you have the ambition of being the largest player in an ecosystem, and I've seen this firsthand, you've got to do this right. Because if you don't, there's a real danger of perpetuating things like groupthink or bad cultural practices across the entire ecosystem. Why this is hard is because sometimes it's nearly impossible to know what actually is right and what is not when business is changing all the time. If you're too large of an institution, you can have difficulty adapting. And if you're the only game in town, I think you have a lot of responsibility and it requires some humility there as well. This isn't always something that fits in the business model, but why it's great is about Maria01 is that they're not for profit. But in this new development, and I'm not sure what direction Maria01 is going to take, according to their site, they certainly are not open for everyone. They're selective about who can join their quote unquote tribe. The thing is, despite what others will claim otherwise, there really is no recipe for building a great startup ecosystem. It takes different things in different places. And that also goes for those institutions that try to put an entire startup ecosystem under one roof, like Maria01 or Station F. Ecosystems, thrive on diversity by having the flexibility to adapt to new ways of working and building companies. But I think most importantly, they thrive by pushing the envelope with bold new ideas and by continually testing the waters. So that's why I think some of the offhand critiques about what Maria01 is trying to do have been pretty unwarranted. I think we need to give them the benefit of the doubt here and celebrate the fact that they're open to building something different and transformative. If Helsinki is not the ecosystem you operate in and know well, I personally don't think you have a lot of room to make judgments before all of the facts are known. It's not just the size that counts, and you need to look at the bigger picture. You can look at Slush. There were lots of doubters at the beginning, but overall, it was the dreamers that took it to what it is today, and maybe we'll see the same with Maria01.
0: So so what's the uh, what's the answer to my question though? Is there any research that would uh, sort of uh, correlate or prove that there is no correlation between uh, campuses and the uh, ecosystem uh, quality or health?
1: Well, I think to do good research in this area, you need to have a very good sample. and what we see in each of these places is that a lot of differences. And I think you can find research that will find an association with size and quality. But is that the right sort of measures that we should be looking at? Um, I don't know if I would put a lot of faith in some of these measures that are currently out there. Uh, so I would be very cautious about making very kind of speculations about how size might matter. I think it's only one ingredient in a much larger picture.
0: Right. Anyway, I do agree that it does not seem to be an initiative that is aimed at early stage companies. I mean, we're talking about 70,000 square meters and uh, 600 companies. That's a lot of space per company, which means that we're most probably looking at uh, sort of larger startups of at least like 7 to 10 people. And that's, I think, what's happening right now there as well. Like from from what I saw at Maria01, it's mostly not large, but I mean middle-sized startups
1: yeah and they do have an evaluation process of who can join and who can be involved Um, and this is something that i think they need to be very careful with because if you get that wrong um you only have you kind of can perpetuate some of those bad um, values that i was um, hinting at earlier um but i i think we should wait and see to see exactly what happens here
0: yeah, they put out this number of 16%. That's uh, that's uh, how many startups actually make it into into Maria01. So from 100% applying, only 16% making it through. So this is certainly something, uh, Natalie, for us too, if we're both there, to maybe discuss uh, with the new CEO of Maria01 and see how they're actually solving this problem.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Okay, let's move on to something that's actually moving. Natalie, you want to talk to mobility, right?
1: Yeah, so I wanted to do a little roundup of some of the latest developments in European transport tech because we've seen a number of interesting deals being done in the past week that touch on some of our favorite themes that come up pretty regularly in the podcast. And first of these is the used car market. And this is one that we've been tracking for a long time. And we talked about it most recently in episode 130 earlier this summer. And as we indicated then, this still remains one of Europe's most promising places for innovation and profitability. And there's lots of opportunities still to be untapped and deals to be made. And as evidence of this, Kazoo, which is a London-based used car marketplace, has raised a further 25 million pounds to add to the 25 million pounds it raised earlier this year. This takes the company's investment to date to 55 million pounds. And here's the kicker. This is before the company has sold its first used car. Kazoo has not yet been launched, and it hopes to go live later this year. And one of their big promises is that they will let you buy a car online and have it delivered to your doorstep in 48 hours. Another selling point for Kazoo and part of the reason for its huge investment pre-launch is the team behind it. Kazoo is founded by Alex Chesterman, the entrepreneur behind Love Film, which was sold to Amazon, and the prop tech company Zoopla, which was acquired for over 2.2 billion pounds last year. It seems like anything this founder puts his hand to is a big success. So I think it's fair to say a lot of people will be excited to see what happens with Kazoo later this year. But wait, there's more from the used car market. As Greek used car marketplace wheel picked up another 5 million euro investment to support their expansion into Poland, Spotted Wheel is headquartered in Athens and in Warsaw, and they have a B2C platform that offers used cars with a five-year warranty, helping to build trust for consumers, and it's said to be one of the longest warranties in the business. And speaking to TechCrunch, Spotted Wheel indicates that the used car market is growing at a 5 to 7% rate annually, so expect to see lots more in this space until micro and mass mobility solutions get considerably better at breaking our dependence on cars. But speaking about mass mobility solutions, here we're gonna turn to France where UB Transport has raised a 45 million euro round of growth funding. And if you're at all interested in mobility or the future of transport, you really should be watching the French market closely where there's been a considerable amount of innovation across all sectors in the transport space. And case in point is UB Transport, which was founded in 2012 and offers a 100% cloud-based transportation systems that help to optimize passenger transport in regional markets. So they offer intelligent solutions for school transportation management intercity and employee transport, and they've just launched an on-demand transport solution. And this company is really interesting because seven years on from their founding, today they operate 120 different transport networks in France, and they'll be using this investment for international expansion. There's a few things I think that are worth pointing out about this deal in particular. UBE Transport today has 55 employees, and according to French Web, which reported this deal, this is the company's first major investment. The company is based in France's Burgundy region, so they're closer to the Swiss border than to France's traditional tech home in Paris. But Transport has been able to make a considerable impact from here, growing their cloud solutions without significant investment for some time until this point. And if you wanted to fit a specific story about growth startups onto this one, you couldn't. And that's why I think it's a great case to show that the growth roadmap for startups in Europe is almost always unique. And I'm really looking forward to following this company and seeing what happens next for them. But on the topic of following stories, we can't do a piece on mobility without mentioning e-scooters, Andre's and possibly European investors' favorite topic. And last week, Bird, the American e-scooter company, has become the eighth electric scooter company to hit the streets of Stockholm. And speaking exclusively to DI Digital... The company says it is open to the idea of paying for the use of city resources and wants to work with the city on improving regulation for e scooters. They've also indicated that within six months, Bird will be located in quote, most major cities in the Nordic countries, end quote. So for our Nordic and Scandinavian listeners, it's likely a bird ride will be coming to a city near you soon. How excited are you, Andre?
0: On a scale of 0 to 10, mm, not quite sure. Can't, uh, can't really say. Well, I mean, anyway, if they manage to get the, their scooters to Copenhagen in time uh, for us uh, uh, before we arrive there. Then we just discussed uh, before the uh, recording that we might as well do a race and uh, maybe live record and live stream it. Race in <laughs> Copenhagen uh, with uh, e-scooters. And that this race will be done by two people who live in cities where there are no e-scooters. So we will not be able to do any training at all. So it's definitely going to end well, right?
1: So uh, European medtech startups might want to be on hand in case um, the inevitable seemingly
0: it's a good thing we're in the Nordics, though, because uh, this uh, should be, you know, like the hotbed of uh, health tech uh, startups in Europe. So maybe we, maybe we will check, <laughs> maybe we will check that uh, that part as well. And there, I don't remember the name of the startup that did casts, right? Like 3D printed casts. That's something we certainly might need. <laughs> no. <laughs> So if you're listening to this, if you're interested in uh, also hearing us race on uh, (laughs) e-scooters, let us know, and we will try to set at least something up uh, when we're in Copenhagen. (laughs) Other than that, no, it's really great that you are following up on the uh, stories uh, we covered before. It's really interesting to see. and you. Mobility is huge. It's just getting more and more huge in Europe. And I was thinking about the used car marketplaces. It's going to be interesting. So in just a few years, I think like in five, six years, in certain countries, these used car marketplaces are going to be the only place where you can buy a non-electric car. Right, because uh, like Norway and the Netherlands and a bunch of other countries are actually going to stop selling the new, uh, new cars that are not uh, that are not electric. That just that are only based on fossil fuels. So I just wonder what sort of dynamics it would drive.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think a lot of the investment is going in that direction because they anticipate that this is a market that is going to become much more exciting um, in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's schedule another update on this uh, in a few weeks and uh, see what happens. Now moving on through our today's uh, agenda, let's uh, listen together to an interview that I recorded uh, in Copenhagen uh, recently at the Digital Frontrunners uh, Festival with Dieteru de Moncour, uh, the Chief Data and Digital Officer at the Danish Growth Fund. That's a really, really big organization that is focused on helping the local startups. Let's listen together and be back in a few minutes for recommendations. Hello, uh, this is Andri Degeler a reporting today from Copenhagen from the Digital Front Frontrunners uh, conference for tech.eu and uh, it's early morning uh, here and I'm having a chance to catch up with uh, uh, Dide Rude Monker uh, from the Danish uh, Growth Fund. Uh, hi Dide and thanks a lot for taking the time to talk.
2: Of course and uh, good morning.
0: Did I butcher your name too much?
2: No, no it's 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 okay. <laughs> It'll do.
0: <laughs> Great. Okay, so can you tell a little bit more about uh, Danish Growth Fund and what you are doing there? Yes,
2: yeah, so we are a public fund with the aim of simply ensuring that all promising companies can get access to the capital they need in order to grow. Despite uh, whatever sector they're in, whatever states they're at, whatever geographical position they have in, 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 Denmark is to ensure that, that all can, can get access to, to the relevant capital. And we do that by investing with loan and equity, but also investing in funds and funder funds and in accelerators, company builders. So, so we're kind of trying to build the bridge in the financial ecosystem between, for example, pension funds and, and VC funds with banks and entrepreneurs and with foreign investors and the the Danish uh, companies.
0: And for how long have you been doing this?
2: So the fund was founded in 92. Approximately we finance around 800 companies a year.
0: Right. And what's your own role? What's your next day work like?
2: So my role is being a chief data and digital officer. So the purpose of, of what I do and what my team do is, is making the fund becoming more digital and data-driven, but also, again, uh, partnering up with, with other organization companies in order to also ensure that the whole ecosystem becomes much more digital and data-driven.
0: Yeah, okay, well, this sounds this sounds interesting. And so, you are a uh, public uh, government uh, governmental fund. Uh, do you actually have any particular KPIs in terms of financial returns?
2: Not exactly, but I mean, we have actually back in '92 we got an equity of uh, two billion kronas uh, and. We had this strategy change in 2001 where we actually said, okay, let's use this equity and actually invest it. And and what we're seeing since then, we actually grew this equity to approximately 6 billion kroners today. And for the last five years, we have actually made very good returns on our investments, especially some of the investments we've done with pension funds into uh, uh, venture funds and buyout funds, and and I think it's it's just to show that when you do the very risky investments and and you do have the long term perspective, you are actually able to create the returns as well. And and every time we we create a return, it's much it's more money coming back to the ecosystem.
0: And about your own investment strategy, do you normally lead the, the round or you co invest uh, with the private uh, f- uh, investors?
2: So we always want to co-invest. So that's, that's also the role we are taking in this ecosystem. We always want to partner up. So when it's giving out loans, it's always in partnership with banks, uh, investments. We always try to take a minority stake and in, in partnership with other investments, because that's, that's also what we see our role in this ecosystem is partnering them up and, and, and having all, all actors coming together.
0: Right. So, and the last uh, thing uh, about uh, the fund itself, so it's 800 companies per year, you said, Uh, any particular focus in terms of stage or uh, industry vertical or anything else?
2: Yeah. So we exactly, we are, we're trying to see. Okay. So, so where is there is, where is there a lack of capital and how can we build this ecosystem stronger? And so we do have a strong focus on, on, and we got a new mandate actually first of January this year, uh, to uh, increasingly ensure the, the necessary capital at the early stages for companies. But we also focus on having actually the whole, the whole ecosystem working together from the early stages to the later stages. When it comes to segments, we do actually have a, a green investment fund, so to do the um sustainability, and uh, we are we're very much financing all sorts of companies uh, without throughout Denmark in all sort of segments, but we also do see. The strength in creating and supporting these strongholds, mm-hmm. such as we discussed today. Um, so, so the success stories of uh, we're one of the the first investors in Universal Robots and and supporting that one company and seeing what has happened since. Um, when you have one, two, three companies growing very big and very successful. And the whole cluster that's actually growing out of that. So we are, we also very much looking at, so what are the strongholds we do have here in Denmark with robotics being one of them, with food tech upcoming, edtech also upcoming and trending, with the fintech we heard about today as well. Very interesting companies growing out of that. Also, we do have... A strong legacy in in clean tech and in biotech so so of course, we are looking at what are the strongholds we do have in Denmark, and how can we support those as well uh, in order to 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 have to be able to create uh, we call them these lighthouses the the massive companies that are very visible and and which are, are having all these positive effects out of in the ecosystem
0: right. So uh, just the other day, I was reading your uh, older interview, I think from last year's Tech Barbecue. And uh, you mentioned something that you also talked about at the press conference today that we've just come out of. Uh So you said that one of your goals is to... Keep the Danish startups in Denmark as in uh, allowing them to uh, grow and develop in the country. So how, uh, how, how has that been going over the years since the last interview till today? Yeah.
2: I think there's a lot of interesting happening, uh, things happening. Um, so that's the whole purpose of VEX Fund, And Actually, you, you told, you asked me about. So what are your KPIs? Is that the financial? Re- Return And it's actually not the KPI is to be able to create the largest impact on the Danish society, uh, when it comes to job creation, when it comes to, to, to innovation and so on. So it's so, so for us, it's, it's very important to see how we can build the strong ecosystem, uh, to support companies, to be able to stay and grow their companies. Uh, in Denmark and, and for them to do that what is required they need to have access to the right people the talent of course the knowledge um, and then the funding and I think I think the storyline has been that we have seen a lot of unicorns coming out of Denmark uh, just eat send desk trade Shift, uh, all these great companies but moving to the US or the UK But now we are actually seeing unicorns staying here in Denmark and and growing big. And I think it's, it's this virtuous circle that we're seeing because when you have more companies who's actually made that journey... Growing from a hundred to five hundred to a thousand employees, you will actually have a lot of employees and you have a lot of middle managers who've actually taken that road. So, so you're creating that talent. Uh, and, 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 and so I think that's the, that's the virtuous circle of seeing more companies growing big here in Denmark. And, and we see a lot of great examples and and great companies with the potential of of becoming unicorns we always see some unicorns uh, coming out staying in denmark such as net company for example
0: great so uh speaking of the press conference that we've just uh, been at together uh, there was a uh, the presentation of the findings of uh, a research uh, study done by a startup genome. And uh, one of the things that they presented was that uh, the ecosystem generally lacks entrepreneurs. And the other one was that those entrepreneurs who are there uh, are struggling to find uh, enough uh, seed funding. So is this, does this correspond to what you're seeing from the inside of the ecosystem?
2: So the report says that we need to Double the amount of entrepreneurs, I guess. And I think as as, as well, double the amount of scale ups. And I'm not sure about this first finding. Um, If we need to see even more entrepreneurs, I think we definitely need to support the entrepreneurs that are are there and be able to create more scale ups. Um, When it comes to the funding side, so VEX Fund and the Danish Growth Fund, we've been working on and investing in building this mature ecosystem. But we've always been saying it takes a long time. It's just it isn't something you do overnight. We've seen the ecosystem in the US uh growing since the late fifties, right? And and being at the point where they are today. So it's very much about being patient. Um, but we do see a lot of a lot of great things happening with the experience, uh, building among the Danish VCs and, and the new VCs that are actually, uh, coming out now. Um, so we see, we see new, uh, teams, uh, raising funds and we see the corporates also entering the market to a great extent. But we're not there yet. So we, we are, we are very open. So there's, there's still things lacking in the ecosystem. And I think from our perspective, what is definitely still lacking is this later stage capital. Um, the, the funds that are patient and willing to do the very big rounds, uh, in order to keep the, the companies in, in Denmark. Uh, at the, at the early stages, uh, actually Vex Fund, just got a new mandate from January 1st here, 2019 to, be able to support even, even to a larger extent and the access to, to the early stage capital. I think the lack of early stage capital will be very dependent on the segments of, of companies. I think you'll see because we also see. Again, more experienced business angels, uh, in the Danish market and more syndication among the the Danish business angels. So, so that part of the ecosystem is also growing stronger. And I think for some companies, there'll be a lot of, there'll be enough. Capital out there because there are actually a lot of capital in the market. But I think for some segments, and I would say perhaps uh, uh, the companies that require a lot of capital. So the deep tech companies, um, for example, uh, it could be biotech, clean tech, uh, the, the companies that need a lot of capital and a lot of patients. Definitely there could still, there's still a lack of, of the their very early stage capital.
0: And this is something that uh, uh, you would be focusing on to uh, bridge.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: Right. And uh, speaking still of the uh, efforts to, say, keep the companies around here, uh, the same person from Startup Genome was saying that, Yeah, no matter what happens, uh, the best uh, talent, uh, the best entrepreneurs would most probably move around anyway. So does it even make sense to try and keep them in the country? Maybe make sense to sort of embrace the whole mobility of uh, the founders. What do you think?
2: Well, I I think the very key point here is this uh, to be connected globally. And, and to have this global mindset. So you need to know what's going on across the world. You need to have also your own entrepreneurs moving around, <laughs> knowing what's going on. And I think it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a very key point. And I think it's, it's also one of the findings of the report that we can do even better there. We have to think globally from the start you need to know what's going on. Otherwise, you'll start building a company and you think it's great and you'll have a lot of traction within the Nordic region, for example. But when you then go global, you'll meet like free competitors you didn't know about. So it's, it's, I think, I think we, we have to support this, this global, um, connectivity, uh, obviously. And that also means that, yeah, of course talent is going to move around, we just need to ensure that we have, um, the framework conditions here in Denmark so that it's possible also to, to, for them who wants it, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs actually want to stay here in the ecosystem and also kind of give something back to the community, right? So I think we just need to ensure that you have the framework conditions here and you, you have the access to talent and you have the access to funding.
0: How close do you think you are uh, to achieving this?
2: I think there's still a long way to go. Uh, we're working very hard, but I, what I see is just continuous improvement. And I think because we do see these very interesting companies like, uh, Trustpilot, Playo, uh, Plan Day, Peak, and we have, we have a lot of companies who are actually staying here in Denmark and, and, and raising very large rounds with a lot of focus from international investors. As I said on, on the stage, actually, um, just last year, we had from all the VC rounds, um, it was fifty uh, percent of those where you had an foreign investor along. So I think there's there's a great interest from from international and foreign investors in Denmark, and that's definitely that's also a trend that we are uh, supporting a lot and and pushing uh, to to do whatever we can in order to attract the capital to Denmark.
0: Right? Are there any? Particular uh, countries, investors from which would be the most active in Denmark.
2: Uh, I actually don't have, uh, I don't have the number, but we do see great interest, of, obviously from the Nordic region, right. from the UK, but also from the US. That's
0: interesting. So, last question, a bit more overarching. So, what do you think is the role of the Danish ecosystem within the European ecosystem? What was the positioning, let's say, of the country? Mm
2: yeah and I think that's that's a very interesting question, and that's why we're talking a bit uh, We need this storyline right so what what makes Denmark or we can say the Nordic region interesting um and i think I think the storyline is is definitely uh, these strongholds that we are talking about today you'll find very great companies within collaborative robots, robotics in general. Within the fintech sector, within, within food tech. Again, here we have a great legacy from some of the, the, the older companies, but also within clean tech and, and biotech. So, so, so definitely we have these strongholds and, and I think there's a great storyline in, in highlighting those. And still, I think what you also see in, in Denmark, and I think perhaps in, 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 in a lot of countries still in Europe, is that you see valuations have gone up, definitely, but not as much as in the US and not as much as in the UK perhaps. So So you're still able to get really, um, to make really great investments in, in some fantastic startups here.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Dita That was it for my questions. Uh, so have a great day today and thanks a lot for uh, this interview.
2: Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure.
0: Hello, welcome back to the podcast of Tech EU. It's time for the recommendations today and my today's recommendation is I think for the first time on the show, it's a smartphone review. I don't think I ever recommended a smartphone review before, but this is not just any smartphone. Of course, this is one developed in Europe uh, with ethics in mind. And you have probably guessed by now that I'm talking about Fairphone 3. And that's a new model of the device by the Dutch company called Fairphone, headquartered in Amsterdam. Uh, the review is written by Natasha Lomas on TechCrunch, and it's titled, uh, "Fairphone 3 is a normal smartphone with ethical shine. And I think it's actually a great compliment uh, for this device. I'm going to explain in a minute. But before, if you haven't heard of Fairphone yet, here is a paragraph from the review that actually explains the main idea of the company. The quote begins, Fairer here means supply chain innovation to source conflict-free materials that go into making of the devices. Then social incentive programs that top up the minimum wages of assembly workers who put the phones together. And repairable, modular handset design that's intended to reduce environmental impact by supporting a longer lifespan. Repair, don't replace is the mantra. The quote ends. So... Some years ago, I actually did a review of the Fairphone 2, that's the previous model, and it was a cool thing, I have to say. It's a funny thing, but the specs were obviously behind most of the phones out there, while the price was pretty high. It was about 500 euros, I think, or something. So it was kind of a tough sell that at least felt this way and since then I talked to the company a few times and my understanding actually was that fearphone was not really interested in the getting into in getting out a new model so because the main focus of the company is actually not the phones per se but the supply chain innovation and they would rather make sure that as many manufacturers as possible use this uh, fear production practices rather than actually getting out uh, another phone on the market for the customers. So I am happy that fear phone ended up presenting a new device. Uh, This one retails at uh, 450 euros. It's, it looks like a totally normal phone as Natasha put it. So check the review out. And if it's something for you do go ahead and buy one. Natalie, do you think you would buy one for yourself?
1: I think if I had 450 euros just kind of available to me, I definitely would consider it because I believe with what they're they're trying to do, um, the specs aren't obviously up to speed with some of the others, um, more conventional products on the market, but I would like to take a closer look at it, of course.
0: Sure. I also like the idea of repairability. I just like tinkering around with things, you know, and when I did the review of the Fairphone 2, I actually... Just uh, I I had a camera set up and I took it down and then assembled it back up. It's really it's really easy actually. So it's a uh, as long as uh, you have enough spear parts and if you can order spear parts from the website, this is this is a great thing really. Now, Natalie, what did you know, what part of the phone industry do you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, so I also am talking about um, mobile world. Um, but for my recommendation this week, I have the best podcast episode from Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. And Ninety Nine Percent Invisible is a podcast about design. It's pretty popular, um, but the host has the best podcasting voice out there. Um, it's very enviable. So I really recommend you check it out if you haven't already had a listen. But here's an excellent story to get you started, which for some of you a certain age will hit you with the wave of nostalgia. I imagine, especially for you, Andre, it is a story of the personal ringtone. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I also, we're the same age, so it definitely hit me with a lot of nostalgia as well. Um, But let's go back in time together to the late 1990s and early 2000s when the personal ringtone was all the rage. Did you ever think about how that got started? Well, it's a great story, and it starts in Helsinki, of all places, as a response to the stock Nokia ringtone. Um, and listening to the episode, I was just thinking about what it must have been like to be in Finland during that time, the home of Nokia, of course, where the Nokia ringtone was practically the only game in town. Um, I really wonder wondering what that must have been like Um but it did create the birth of the personal ringtone. And I won't give the story away. You should really have a listen to the podcast. It is an excellent one. Um, and it also made me think about when was the last time you heard the standard Nokia ringtone? Um, Andre, have you heard it recently?
0: It's a good question. I mean, and to be entirely honest, I don't think I'm hearing that many ringtones in general lately. And uh, I, I never turn on mine either. But, yeah, I think I think uh, it would be years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. I actually heard Nokia ringtone twice this summer, once in Romania and once in the U.S., actually. And it was definitely, like, a lot of nostalgia right there. And that's always something that kind of makes you smile a little bit when you hear it out in the wild, still going over 20 years later.
0: Wow. Did you see if the... People who had these ringtones, did they actually have Nokia phones too? Or was it sort of a joke like retrofitted into
1: a <laughs> normal I mean, no I phones? didn't like go hunt them out, but um, have. I don't know if that's kind of the most popular personal ringtone to have on your iPhone um, nowadays. But maybe it's it's a great kind of sleeper sort of ringtone. To
0: have. Yeah, it's, I, I would say it's kind of cool. It's kind of nostalgic <laughs> and all. And I, I actually, when I saw you link into this uh, this podcast episode, uh, I had some time uh, uh, this noon, so I actually listened to it already. Yeah, it's great. I I, I don't want to give up too much again, but just like for everyone who's going to listen to it, just don't do what they suggest to do. Do not turn (laughs) on your ringtone back. I'm so happy over this uh, recent development of the last few years that people just uh, tend not to even turn on the vibrate. You don't really need it that much. And especially like I, what I always do, and I think it's the best solution is I have total like not disturb on my phone with like one exception of my wife. And then uh, at the same time, I have my uh, smartwatch on, and then that's what vibrates. So this is a sort of vibration that will never distract anybody around me. So like, I don't uh, interrupt uh, anyone. I'm the only one who's feeling it, and I can decide whether I want to pick up the phone. So just I'm not sure that turning uh, your ringtone back on is a great idea.
1: <laughs> but for everyone that doesn't have a smartwatch, you can bring back the Nokia ringtone nostalgia. Maybe next time is on stage at Tech Barbecue.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. I'm fine with that, but only if it would be not the polyphonic version of the ringtone, but the very uh, first, uh, like, uh, monophonic, I think, is called the version of the ringtone. Then then I'm totally fine uh, with hearing it. I haven't heard it in ages. <laughs> also, of course, it should be produced by the actual Nokia 3310, nothing else. <laughs> then that, that, that I'm fine. Right. I guess this is time for us to wrap it up for today. It was a great episode. Thank you, Natalie, for this. and uh, That's it for us. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to us today. If you did, please do tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on wherever you get your podcasts. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by sound pulse that is sound pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andri at TechU and Natalie at TechU. Natalie, thanks again for joining today. Looking forward to seeing you soon.
1: Yep, me too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.